0: Hello, and welcome to the All-80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello,
1: Jason. Bill, the Chinese have a saying. Before setting out on revenge, you first dig two graves...
0: That's right, listeners. Today, we will be discussing the 1981 James Bond movie, For Your Eyes Only, starring Roger Moore, Carol Bouquet, and Topol, directed by John Glenn. This movie is rated PG with a running time of two hours and seven minutes. This movie was nominated for one Oscar, Best Music Original Song, For Your Eyes Only. This movie is loosely based on the James Bond short stories, For Your Eyes Only, and Recico by Ian Fleming. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local mom-and-pop video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away,
1: Jason. Roger Moore stars in this top, fast-paced thriller set in the Greek underworld. Included, of course, are the spectacular stunts, stunning women, and wry humor that is the essence of the James Bond legacy. The title song, sung by Sheena Easton, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. When top-secret British military equipment is lost at the bottom of the Ionian Sea, Agent 007 must retrieve it before it falls into Russian hands. Aided by Melina, a mysterious beauty who is as skilled with a crossbow as she is seductive with a smile, Bond embarks on a deadly race against time that takes them from one sensational European locale to another. From a hair-raising chase down a Cortina bobsled run to a ferocious underwater battle in spy tech vehicles to a breathtaking climb up a sheer rock wall that leaves Bond dangling on the end of a rope. For your eyes only is a swift, slick, suspenseful adventure. Nice. For your eyes only. So that was what's your on the box. Eyes
0: only.
1: I love that song, Bill Bant. How are you tonight? I should call you Bill Bant. Bond. BBB. Oh, I like Oh that. man. Can't wait to talk about this with you, Mr. Bond himself. Oh, here we go.
0: Um, all right. So let's uh, move on to our first segment, which is earliest memories. Jason, what are your earliest memories of For Your Eyes Only?
1: You know what? I don't have many earliest memories of this, which is interesting because I have a particular Bond with this Bond film. It, it was strange. I just couldn't remember anything because I like to jot my earliest memories down before taking a sneak peek at the what's on the box, uh, that blurb out in the you know back of the VHS box, or uh, looking at a trailer or any other Wikipedia, IMDb research, whatever it might be. And I, I built I was like blanking all over the place. Um, but what I can say is that I remember this being my first exposure to Bond. I believe this was the first Bond movie I saw in a theater. I had been very young at the time, obviously, around maybe eight years old, seven, eight years old. And I do recall, of course, the title theme song sung by Sheena Easton. I loved that song as a kid. I would sing it all the time. There was something about it that resonated with me. I just thought it was so romantic and beautiful. and Sheena was so pretty, and like it was just as a young boy, I was like, "Man, this is this is uh, this is very romantic," and I didn't even know what that meant. So that was interesting. Uh, another memory was definitely the finale at the what I call the Mountain Cliff Resort. Yes, It's the abandoned monastery. But that really just sticks out in my mind. Uh, that is one of the most exotic locales I've seen in a film. I've always adored that that sheer cliff. Uh, that rock, that the rock climb, how tense it was and exciting it was to see on the big screen as a kid. Um, but yeah, uh, that's really all I got. I have plenty of other initial thoughts, but I'm going to cut it off here regarding my earliest memories and turn it over to you, Bill Bant bond
0: Okay. So for me, I've been a big fan of the Bond series for as long as I can remember. And I always used to remember on ABC, they would do their Monday night movie of the week and like, my dad would be like, guess what's on tonight? It's a Bond movie. And that's how I initially would watch my Bonds, was on network television. I think the first Bond movie I rented was A View to a Kill. And it really wasn't oh, yeah. until GoldenEye that I finally saw one in the theater. So most of the time, it was either, you know, I rented them. I ended up most yeah. of them on VHS
1: and then on DVD and now on Blu-ray. So GoldenEye was the first Bond film you saw in the theater. Yes, and you were already 46. A little bit younger than that. Oh, okay. 42.
0: But yeah, for my memories of this one, I always remember Melina and her crossbow because I thought, sure. what a cool freaking weapon for mm-hmm. a Bond girl to have. And damn, she is deadly accurate with that thing. I don't think she misses once in the whole film. She hits everything she shoots. I mean, if it's I support with the crossbow, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm dead. I always remember the figure skater who was uh, yeah. B- B- Bibby uh, Lynn Holly Johnson. I just thought she was the cutest thing on the planet,
1: and she was no questions asked. Yes, and B- she's B-
0: just constantly throwing herself at Bond. And oh, I've
1: got some thoughts regarding that. Absolutely, my friend. And, and the fact that Bond was actually rejecting her, I was just like,
0: why can't she throw herself? At that's me?
1: that's sheer willpower. Yes. I mean, especially for James Bond. Yes. Okay. Come on. Just say, okay. He did the right thing. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. She is a young, young lady, and it would have been extremely inappropriate, but still, I applaud his willpower and his just, you know, doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So, sorry to interrupt. I just, no,
0: it's yeah. okay. Of course, because I'm a big shark lover. I love sharks. So, the, of course, the scene where Bond and Melina <laughs> are tied up on the boat absolutely and they're in there with the sharks oh yeah it's just it's just great it's just great because you just see the the rope in the loop and just going just like hold on and i was just like oh my god that is so freaking cool totally agree and the bad guy the um lock the one with the glasses Uh uh-huh for some reason just always stood out he is
1: memorable yeah just just it's it's his something about his face no doubt about it he just has that creepy ominous look i agree with you yeah those glasses man those glasses just stood out yeah
0: no doubt and then my biggest memory of um, this movie was Hans Zerkhoff is in this film. <laughs> Topol from Flash Gordon is in this movie. That's oh awesome. Oh, my God. They're... I didn't realize there were a statue at the times, but I'm like, yeah, he's right. always eating those nuts. So that was just exciting to me to see Han Zerkhoff in a Bond movie.
1: For sure. Those are my earliest memories of uh, For Your Eyes Only. Outstanding. That's great. So fun, man. Yes, you can't deny the the fun factor of this movie. That's for sure.
0: Oh yeah, there's I mean some amazing oh. action sequences. Oh yeah, about this film, and we'll get into that a little bit later.
1: Um, yeah, so I do have some initial thoughts here for sure, and you know I had mentioned bonding over Bond, right? So Bond has always been a, a bonding movie franchise for myself and my dad. We've made it a point to see the films in the theater together if we can, or re-watch the classics together when we can. Thus, Bond will always be sentimental for me. My dad and I have always loved the action. Uh, we like to call it brainless action at times. But I particularly love watching my dad laugh at Bond's one-liners. And he always says something to the effect of, ah, Bond's the best. So a lot of sentimental attachment for me. Because of the relationship I have to Bond and my dad, so it's not a surprise. You know, I, as I'm sure this type of genre lends itself to all sorts of male bonding. You know, it's everything that feeds the stereotypical male ego bond is the embodiment of the straight white male ego. I'm, so I'm going to go. I'm going to rattle through this Bill Bant Bond. It's about being handsome and clever at the most opportune moments, being well spoken and. In multiple languages, nonetheless, it's about risk, danger, the underworld of espionage, adrenaline, women, sex, guns, and other cool weapons, and I say cool, quote unquote, weapons, toys, one of the best theme songs ever, A License to Kill, you get the best number, Delo 7. All the gadgets, exotic locales, luxury, travel, perfect clothes for every occasion, Tom Ford tailor suits, expensive booze, shaken, not stirred, expensive psycho psycho watches and other accessories. It's the Aston Martin and the Lotus cars. It's being athletic and talented and well read. It's about adventure, being brave and being funny. It's being a hero, a hero for a queen and country. It's about always outwitting the bad guy and getting the girl. Women want him and men want to be him. It's everything I've basically ever fantasized about. What else could we want, Bill Bant? Bond. I don't think there's anything left to talk about, Jason. But that's it. This is it. James freaking Bond, man.
0: And this franchise has been going on forever. And it is my favorite film franchise that is still going on right now. Right. Yeah. This is the only franchise left. When a movie comes out, I'm there opening day. I take off from work. I get to the first show I can get to in the morning. to so watch it. No doubt. I
1: can't wait for no time to die. Oh yeah. Can't wait for it. Yeah. Trail yeah. looks ex- outstanding.
0: That'll probably be I'm pumped. the next time I go to a movie theater. Cause I, Oh have yeah. Been sure. COVID, and I'm like, Oh man. All right. I Hopefully that, that would be that a age.
1: great one for you personally to save yourself for.
0: Yeah. Very excited about
1: that one. Good call. So some more initial thoughts. I I do love the theme song for this movie uh, so much. So I recall playing this song in high school band. Really played for your (laughs) high school band version. And I was playing alto saxophone. James Bond had a wife. What the fuck is happening here? Like, that's like the opening of the movie. I didn't recall this. I had no memory of this. I don't know what's going on. I had to pause it. I had to examine the, the headstone at the gravesite. at uh, Teresa Bond, who lived from 1943 to 1969, she died when she was 26. Jason, you didn't watch. I thought you watched. No, on her Majesty's Sneaker Sneaker Service. I Is thought you watched. Yeah. You. No, I never saw it at The Lazenby.
0: Oh, I thought you watched um, that when I did that in college, The Bond and Beer. The beer? No. That was one I of never, the movies no. we
1: showed. I think the one we saw, it had, I don't know if it was Moonraker. Moonraker was the last one we showed that night. Hmm. That may have been.
0: Oh, that's right. I, you were not there for the whole thing. Cause I think you were no. studying for something and you showed up for like the last two movies.
1: Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. I remember Jaws being in the film. So it had to have been Moonraker. I can't, what's the other one that he's, he was in or the other films. The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay. So I'm freaking out at the beginning of this movie that I'm like, wait, when, when did James Bond have a wife? I just, you know, I'm not as much of a fan as you are, although obviously I'm a big fan of James Bond, but I yeah, was not privy to that information. So that was a shock to my system. Now the seventies music during this opening action sequence threw me a little bit off, even though it's 1981, when this film comes out, it felt very seventies, the actual score. It was a mixture of little 80s, but then most it sounded very 70s. And so it just the soundtrack made me feel like this film has like this 70s kind of hangover. I mean, it's only 1981, so that makes sense. But we get a quote unquote Blofeld appearance in the beginning of this film, even though he's not credited as Blofeld. And there's we can get into that later, why that is. I mean, there he is. We get to see the back of his bald head, and he's in the the tricked-out wheelchair with his cat. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the origins of Dr. Evil. That's all I could think of. Yes. Powers, right. It is great stuff. Uh, You know, Blofeld getting dropped down an industrial chimney in his, like I said, his wheelchair. But then, of course, he returns two years later in the unofficial Bond film, Never Say Never Again. So he's fine. We get to see the actual singer perform during the credits. Yes. First time. And Is this the only time that this happens? Yeah. That was cool. Just to see Sheena Easton actually performing. I mean, we get to see some, you know, silhouettes of naked women, you know, kind of flying around, which is always that is a staple. Got to have it. Love it. Look forward to it.
0: Yeah. That always cracks me up because I remember as a kid, I used to not like the opening credits because I was just like, I just get to, I just want to get back to the movie. Right. They're, and then when you get older, you're like long winded. Yeah. And then when you get older, you're like, wait a second.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, yeah.
0: Is that naked? What? What is going then, then on here? Then
1: you're like, I don't want this to end. Yes. Let's, let's keep, why aren't there more credits? And then there's
0: actually, like, when you watch the credits, there is someone credited about filming those title credits.
1: Like, that's someone's <laughs> job. But just to just to do that portion, I'm just like... I'm sure. I'm sure. I would love to see... Just a mini-documentary on the making of the opening credits for Bond films. Yeah, because it's just... I'm in hundred percent.
0: We're just getting naked women. They just jump around like, hey, can you do a uh, cartwheel? Great cartwheel would, yeah. across the screen. I would How have to, to imagine,
1: you know, they're either wearing skin tight bodysuits and things like that. Hey, Like, obviously these, they're very acrobatic. Some of these things are very acrobatic that the women are doing uh, and a credit to them, obviously, and all the, the female performers, you know, that do these credits, but they sure seem to be naked. Uh, and yeah. It's uh, It's always like a great way to start a Bond movie um <laughs> so yeah it's, ahead, just, it's just go weird
0: because it's like where did they come up with this concept because if you look at dr no they don't do it there then it, it and then it starts with either it might start with goldfinger where they started doing all this where they start showing the, the women mm-hmm. who decided to do this and then now it's just you you're A just, you just expect, yeah you just expect this i mean dr knows they're singing three blind mice during the opening credits that's the first. <laughs> and they go from that to naked women dancing around and getting major musicians to do
1: theme songs. Just crazy, just a crazy evolution. I love it. Uh, thank you for that, Bill Bond. I forgot how fucking convoluted these plots can be. Sweet baby Jesus! I mean, I'm trying to connect the dots while I'm watching this movie. I'm like, I, I'm going. Okay, wait, wait, wait. And wait, now who's who? And Bond is traveling where now and why now? And who's he going to sleep with next? And what the bad guy is actually the guy from Fiddler on the Roof. But no, no, wait, wait. It's actually the ADAC commander from Empire Strikes Back, who is also the asshole from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And the real question is, are the pistachios the real star of this film? But seriously, are the flying human dummies the real star of this film? <sighs> There are there are dummies flying out of cars, out of windows, fallen from helicopters. It's amazing the amount of dummy the, the dummy work is brilliant in yeah, this film.
0: I want to know what the dummy budget on that was.
1: <laughs> so, Bill, let's get this out of the way now. I mean, so we're, we're the MacGuffin in this film is the attack attack. It's an acronym ATAC, right? Right, which stands for Automatic Targeting Attack Communicator. Okay, we got that out of the way. That's a mouthful. We know what it is now, right? See, I the, knew you would have that, so. The bad guy's name is Cristados, played by Julian Glover. Now, the main squeeze in this film, her name is Milena. Mm-hmm. The underage nympho is BB. Yes. Her figure skating coach is Binker. Mm-hmm. The loser at the card table is Bunky. So we got BB Binker, and Bunky. Yes. There's also Columbo. Worth to think is the bad guy, but not really bad. The bad guy that's Columbo. He is a uh, Greek smuggler. He is played by the uh, just indelible, amazing Tobel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we have uh, the number one henchman named Eric, who is played by Dolph Lundgren. And no, 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 no. no, no. That's not Dolph. Oh.
0: We don't see Dolph Longren until uh, I could have sworn it was Avito Dolph. Lundgren. Kill. No, we don't see him until the
1: oh, Okay. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. A couple, couple years later. Gotcha. Thanks, Bill. No Thanks problem. for clearing that out. I could okay. have sworn it was him. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have uh, Locke and uh, Ferrara and Q and the Minister of Defense. And that's defense with a C. Defense. Defense. And finally, there's Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher who keeps her private. Phone in her cupboard. Yes. So uh, now that we I cleared that up, we we know some of the characters, we know some of the actors playing the main characters, the protagonists, the antagonists. Bill, can you actually break down the plot for us? That was always the fun thing about these movies <laughs> was, <laughs> right. as a kid. Good job to it. Yeah.
0: It was yeah, always about the action sequences mm-hmm. on theme, and then when you were getting older, I was like, oh. Oh, I'm finally understanding what the whole story is about. Why he's going to those these locations and whatnot. So, yeah, the
1: plot to this is very weird. You don't actually have to break it down, man. I I was half okay. kidding. It would it. But it is, take a while. it is complicated. It is complicated. I figured. I mean, I put it together. It actually does follow. Like it makes sense. But you just have to kind of you have to think about it for a second and go over it in your head and be like, okay, this is who he's following and why and why he was sent here and what the, the ruse is by the bad guy, because some of it was confusing to me. I was like, why would this even, Oh, he's making it seem as though Columbo's the bad guy. And it's really Christos Ditos and, and his main guy, uh, Dolph Lundgren.
0: No, not, 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 what? Dolph Lundgren. no, not. Dolph I, Lundgren. Are you sure? Yes. He does not show up until a view to a kill. No, But yeah, that was always weird too because you're like, wait, the good guy is the bad guy now? How did that happen? Yeah, it, it took me forever to understand that uh, as a kid and then growing up you're like oh, okay, now I understand
1: what is going on. But yeah, some, the way, some I, of these
0: plots I, to these movies yeah, yeah always made no sense.
1: It's such a huge cast. There's so many players and there's so many locations and it moves quickly even though it's these films are normally over two hours long. That it's hard to follow at times. So you kind of have to pause. And I do want to give credit where credit is due. I joke because the main henchman to Christados is Eric Kriegler. And uh he's played by John Wyman. I'm joking because he he's like a huge, uh, very tall, very Aryan, square jawed, well built, uh, athletic, like German Russian type Anglo, you know, and I that's why I keep calling him Dolph Lundgren. That's okay. But the actor's name is John Wyman. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, we can attempt to break down the plot, I suppose at times, but I would just suggest to our audience, our listeners that you watch the film and try to fucking figure it out for yourself. Yeah. But uh, I think that's it for my, uh, my initial thoughts. We can keep it moving. If you'd like bill bond.
0: Yeah, let's do that. Um, Let's move on to favorite scenes. Let's uh, discuss some of our favorite scenes from for your eyes only. It is in my top five songs. I, I I did love that
1: one too. Hey, why don't you start us off? What what's one of your favorite scenes and or moments from this film?
0: Okay. So one of my favorite scenes is one of the action scenes that I love, the ski chase scene. That's what I have. Oh, First you had one. that one? All right. Yes. So to set this up, so they're trying to track down this automated targeting attack
1: communicator. So the film actually begins with the attack computer has been sunk. It's yes. p- it was at the bottom in the belly of a ship that uh, unfortunately met its demise by running into these mines that had, were being collected by the nets mistakenly. And the mines collide with the ship and it, it has sunk to the bottom of the Ionian Sea. And the British government needs to get a hold of this because that ship was part of their surveillance system, which controlled all their submarines and the weapons aboard those submarines. That's what this attack device does. It coordinates and operates the weapon systems aboard their submarines. I think it's called like the Polaris submarines or something, but it's their whole network of submarines. So they need this attack computer and it's still at the bottom of the sea, but they can't get to it because it's within like Albanian borders or something like that. Right. So they hire somebody within the borders to go and get it. But the bottom line is James Bond has to retrieve his ultimate goal the end game basically is that he's got to find this attack computer before the Russians do, before the Russians get a hold of it. And in the middle of all of this are these Greek businessmen and smugglers. They're kind of our antagonists throughout, I guess you could say, right?
0: Yeah, because the um, the British government was en- enlisting um, this couple to locate exactly where the sunken ship was. Like they have right. an idea where it sunk. They know it hasn't sunk far enough that it is salvageable. So they need to get to the ship first in order to get the attack. Correct. Or it falls into the Russian hands. So it's a, it's a race. And unfortunately, the people they hired get murdered. So now they need to find a new avenue of like, how how can we locate the ship? So Bond meets up with this smuggler who has connections. And he's supposedly going to help Bond retrieve the attack. But what we find out is he's actually a double agent or he plays both sides and he's actually working for the Soviets and he's actually trying to get it for the Soviets because they're offering him a huge, huge sum of, of money. Right. So after he meets with Christados, um, he's going to Greek uh,
1: businessman.
0: Yes. The Greek businessman. He's going on a, a little ski excursion with Christados
1: Olympic protege. BB. Right. A figure skater. Yes. How old do you think she's supposed to be in this movie? Because she she looks like she's 17.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, because you figure it's a figure skater. I mean, they're usually pretty young. So I figured, yeah, I figured around 17. Because if she's already preparing for the Olympics, you figure it's 80. It's already happened. So she's preparing for the 84 Olympics at this point.
1: So he figures she'd be
0: 20 by the time she competes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call, good
1: call. You're putting it together. Thanks, man. So so Bond has arrived in Italy where everybody is basically there at the Olympic village and beyond prepping for the Olympics. And we have Christos, the Greek businessman, and he is helping Bond find out what is going on with their – well, there's another character named Locke. Who would lead Bond eventually, hopefully, to the location or to uh how they're going after the attack and it would just eventually lead him there. But uh
0: Yeah, this is what makes it confusing too, because we find out that Locke was paying off the assassin that killed off the Greek family, the Hadlocks. Right. Who the British government hired to try to find the boat.
1: Exactly. Is everybody exactly try uh-huh. to fucking follow that? Yes. Anyway. Leading up to both Bill Bond and I's first favorite scene, in this movie, we have Bond in Italy. He's met with Christados, this Greek businessman who is supposed to help Bond locate Locke. And he tells him, well, Locke is working with this other Greek smuggler named Columbo, who I used to work with, but he, we fell out of uh, sorts. And, and uh, this Columbo is known as the White Dove. And Columbo and Locke are, are in cahoots together. And those are the guys you want to bring down, and uh, that's how they'll lead you to the attack, and what and the Russians and all that, and you can bring them all down. And Bond is like, okay, great, let's let's get those guys. And but later that day, he's agreed to accompany young Bibi, the protege figure skater, along, you know, uh, to a, what a biathlon, biathlon, yep, at this Olympic Village. So. We've got Italy, beautiful location, snowy slopes, uh, the mountains and uh, beautiful scenery and skiing and take it away, Bill. So
0: they're watching the biathlon and then Bond's like, sorry, BB, I got to go. You know, I got some business to do. At this point, Christophus has told Locke that Bond is here. He's looking for you. You got to take him out. So as Bond's skiing down the hill, all of a sudden we find out. This other henchman, the Dolph Lundgren, that you like to call, Eric, who's a sharpshooter, uh, tries to kill Bond, somehow misses him.
1: Sharpshooter question mark?
0: Yes. He misses Bond, but he's able to shoot his gun out of his hand and shoot his ski pole in half. So he's mm-hmm. that good,
1: but he can't hit a human target. And he's also in the biathlon, it requires somewhat of a talent for skiing. And later on in this action sequence, he goes on a small ski jump and falls on his face. Yes.
0: So then the chase happens. Bond tries to get away from him. Right. Other henchmen come to pursue two of them with these motorcycles that have spikes on the wheels.
1: Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And there's this great scene where there's a toboggan trail.
1: The best part. It's the best part. It's a bobsled run.
0: Yeah, bobsled run. And Bond on skis gets on this bobsled run. And then one of the motorcycles is also on the bobsled run. And they're literally following a bobsled down the thing.
1: I'm just like. It's unreal. And you can see they did it. I mean, it's. Yes, this it, is
0: 1980. This is not computer generated effects. This right. is stuntmen doing this. And it's amazing because the whole time I'm watching, I'm like. And it doesn't look like the footage is sped up. I'm like,
1: they're not. In that, that not sh- in that sequence. No.
0: Not at all. You know, of course, every time they do the shot of Roger Moore, it's always that rear projection. That's
1: a complaint of mine, which I was going to bring up, because I I wanted to go over this whole sequence a little bit, too. I cannot stand it when they cut back and forth between the actual wide angle of all the stuntmen performing. You can't see their faces. It still looks like the characters. It looks fantastic. That When the bobsled is going down the run, Followed by Bond on his skis, followed by a henchman on his motorcycle. It's insane. It's awesome. And it's high speed, fast paced action. And then they cut to a close up of Bond doing something goofy with his fucking face. And it's against a projection screen in the background and it takes you out of it immediately going, well, that's fake as fuck. And then it returns back to the most awesome stunt action sequence ever. And it's like, Stop going back and forth. Why do you do that?
0: They never. Sorry, get that. I get
1: passionate about that. I no, hate that when they do that.
0: They never get that right. I mean, all those movies, yeah. it's always like that. It's yeah. the rear projection and just like, no, you could totally tell that's not the same guy. But then there's another element in this chase scene where Bond gets cornered and decides to go up the Olympic jump, which, I mean, that just cracked me up. It's just like, hey, we have this Olympic jump. Might as well use it.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. How do we
0: how do we how do, so how do we get bond? How do we get Bond up there? Yeah, the jump. And he just he just goes up there to the top, and then you like, you got nowhere to go. The sharpshooter is just waiting for you at the bottom of the hill. Sharpshooter question mark? Yes. And then he goes down, and then for some reason, one of other locks henchmen decides to come down at the same time, blocking
1: yeah. the sharpshooter. Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. Joins yes. Bond on the ski jump. It's incredible. And they go down together. Who knew Bond could actually ski jump? Well, of course he can. Of course he can. Come on, go. Jason, shut the fuck up. Bond can do everything all the time.
0: That did crack me up too, because half the people that were going up on that, I was like, um, all these people are gonna die.
1: None of these people look <laughs> no.
0: qualified to go down this <laughs> jump whatsoever. I'm like, they got like beer bellies. Right, yeah, I'm like, oh my god.
1: That was a question. Watching that, I was like, wait, can any? Is this supposed to be like a recreational thing that you can opt in for, even if you're not a professional ski jumper? Like, can you just do this? I was like, like there should maybe, be like
0: 40 EMTs at the bottom of the hill, and yeah. just basically just scraping people off, after or a, attempt to do this jump.
1: A giant blow up, you know, like thing that catches, you, like a, a blow up trampoline that catches you at the bottom. So it's like, we. And you just mm-hmm. fall into it anyway. It's like it's um, this whole thing is ridiculous and awesome.
0: Yeah, that's how it sums up. It's ridiculous and it's awesome because he comes off that jump and then somehow jumps like at a 45 degree angle because he jumps over the car that's parked like 20 yards to the left or the right of the
1: jump, but somehow oh, yeah.
0: angles it that way to jump over the car so he doesn't get shot.
1: Well, James Bond can alter physics. I, I mean, he can alter the rules of physics. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that's a given.
1: It's James Bond,
0: and then somehow ski jumps on top of a table where people are eating at one point. Ski jumps on top of a. Bar. And you have to you
1: have to intercut that with a really cheesy reaction of some guy going "huh" with his little glass of beer or whatever. Like that's in every movie too. It's <laughs> every movie too. <laughs> like it's it's a given.
0: Yeah, Bond gets away scot-free.
1: I put that entire sequence all together as one because it is one basically extended ski action sequence uh, with minor breaks in between. Because it does begin, like you said, with Eric and the henchmen chasing him, just skiing down through the trees and they're shooting at him, et cetera. And by the way, the spikes on the motorbike wheels were, were great and underused. You know, oh, you would, yeah. You were expecting... First of all, because they're they're kind of multifunctional, right? I mean, they can be used for traction in the snow, mm-hmm. but also as, you know, weapons. Like you, you were, I was thinking, oh, yeah, the, the motorbikes come up against them, like either scratch them or, or poke them or whatever. But that never happens. Anyway. No. But then they go from that to then the elevator up to the ski jump. And then he goes down the ski jump and then it turns into the bobsled run. And I, you're just going, holy shit, man. Bond, dude, you got to be tired after that, man. Yes. Oh, but wait, there's more. There's more because he goes to the ice rink to 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 say goodbye or to say hi, whatever, to little little nympho BB. Mm-hmm. And then he gets attacked by the hockey players. Yes, that kind but of fell in my complaint. I didn't put words, that yeah. in together with this the whole ski scene as a favorite scene, but it's just like. Dude, you got to be wiped, man. Go just take a nap after that, man. Yes. You know, Raj, you're you're getting up there anyway, and you need to take a nap, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Looking a little, I mean, you still look good. Don't get me wrong.
0: But the best was at the end when Bond gets away and and Eric literally picks up a motorbike. Yes. and, just, and just, <laughs> it just hurls it at him. Yes. Which would have been know. hilarious if you actually hit him with that and then knocked out Bond. Correct. It's like, you couldn't hit him with your gun, your sharpshooter but you're able to throw a motorbike at him and hit him.
1: Yeah. It's like, really, man, you got some anger issues. Cause why would you do that? First of all, why would you try to throw your bike at him? Yeah. But you see him throw the bike at him. And then following shortly after is the, the wheel from the bike, which is like bent in half. Mm -hmm. Really funny. Great stuff, man. That whole ski action sequence is fucking insane. No, it's awesome. Uh, But the bobsled run in particular, if anything, watch this movie just for the stunt work in that particular scene it's crazy yeah, it's, it's crazy yeah good good choice so my uh second or you know the, the second favorite scene here in our list uh my ch- next choice is the underwater action sequences and i'm putting two sequences together uh the first one being we have james bond and milena our leading uh, lady in this film trying to salvage the attack that uh the MacGuffin in this film the device which it looks like a basically it looks like an Atari 2600 i mean or like a yeah, it's, know, about like, the, slice yeah it's about the size of one of those size. kind of yes. looks a little bit like one of those consoles that's a good call so they're trying to salvage that device from the sunken saint george ship which is the british vessel and um, this is i believe in the ionian sea off the coast of albania or greece or somewhere in that area and when they go down there, little do they know that our, uh, sorry, antagonist uh, Christados has also arrived and has sent his henchmen underwater to go after them, which only makes sense. You got to have an action sequence underwater yes. here at this point. Speaking of sharks, here's a g- nice little scare. They go into the you oh, know, yeah. the hole that's been blown out of the side of the sunken ship. And of course, a shark comes out and it's like, holy shit balls then they go in. And by the way, because the ship is at like 540 or 84 feet of depth, they have to use this mix of helium and nitrogen in their tanks. And they only have eight minutes of breathing time. So you have this time constraint and there's all this tension and they go into the ship and they find the the attack console. And then they have to bond has to use a code in order to unlock it, basically because it's attached to an explosive device. And then the evil henchman swims down there, follows them into the sunken ship. And he's wearing this giant underwater scuba suit kind of thing, which was wonderfully foreshadowed in like the previous scene. Yes. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. He's got the Deep Star Six suit. Thank you very much. That's a good way of describing it. Thank you. In the previous scene, there's an agency was where Bond and Topol, Columbo. They're like going back and they see that particular suit hanging like in this warehouse and Bond literally goes in the middle while they're trying to be really quiet and to sneak up on the bad guys. And they've got the guns drawn and Tobel Columbo gets scared because he sees this suit and it looks like a human hanging on the wall and he gets scared. And Bond goes, oh, it's J.I.M. diving equipment for salvage work at depths over 300 feet. And why are you telling me this right now? It's hilarious exposition and foreshadowing for this scene I'm talking about. Cut back to now we have this underwater action sequence. They're, you know, trying to salvage the attack device inside the sunken ship. The guy in that giant JIM diving suit, uh, the Deep Star Six suit, comes after them. There's under, you know, they're running out of air, and Bond attaches the explosive an explosive device onto his suit. And you see the guy inside the suit here, the clicking the countdown, which is you, you see, it's like, he sets the explosive device at like a minute. Yeah. And you hear the ticking and the evil henchman inside the suit can hear the ticking from inside the suit. And it's great buildup. And there's like 15 seconds left on the timer, which lasts in in, uh, our time about 45 seconds, which is fucking hilarious. It's 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 off, but the timing's off. So that's a great sequence. He gets blown up of course, and uh, Bond and Milena get out only to get into their mini sub, uh, the Neptune, and then get attacked by the henchman mini sub, and you got arms with pinchers. And yeah, anyway, they—it's just a lot of stuff happening. They get caught, so they actually get away from the evil mini sub, come to the surface to, to the awaiting uh, crustados, and crustados is like ha ha ha, I've got you, and now. We are going to come up with some extravagant way of murdering you both, not just put bullets in your head, but we're going to tie you up, drag you behind our boat, our like mini yacht. And we're just going to drag you until you drown and or are eaten by sharks. We're going to drag you in the water above like fire coral and you're going to get scratched and you're going to bleed out and the sharks are going to chase you. And we're just going to keep dragging you until you die. Hell of a way to go. It's brutal, but it really makes for like great. Like now we're like, oh, this Cristados guy is not a good dude. So in this moment, he's pretty good villain. And now it does not look good for Bond and Milena uh, because they are literally faced together. Like they're face to face and they're tied around the waist and their arms are tied in. And we see the yacht take off. They're attached to the yacht by a rope and we see the grouping of the rope beneath them and it's unraveling as the the boat gets further away And you know they're about to be yanked off of the this other boat and then into the water and to be dragged behind this boat and it's just like oh shit this is not going to feel good this is not good for bond and or uh malena and he says uh, what does he say there at the last minute as you see the rope unravel he's like hold on yeah
0: it's just all on tight yeah
1: and uh, they get into the water and you just see them getting dragged and they're getting he's getting scratched up on the coral. Uh, so the blood's coming out. The sharks are chasing him. It's a pretty intense uh, action sequence. They come up from air at time from time. And this is in my complaints department. And I'm going to just jump right to it. Fucking idiot bad guys. You, you dumb fucking shitheads. I don't understand. Why did they even stop? The ocean is miles and miles and miles long. Just go in a straight line until Bond has, and Milena have drowned or have been eaten by sharks, but they keep stopping and turning around, which gives Bond time to kind of dive down and loosen the ropes. He kind of cuts one of the ropes on a piece of coral or a piece of rock. And it's just hilarious to me because the, the, the you know, why do the villains always have to be idiots? Either way, I, I, thought that entire sequence was really intense because you think they're going to drown. You see the sharks. It's really shot well. They did some film trickery in order to shoot this because um, the actress that playing Milena, Carol bouquet is that her name, yeah. um, had a sinus infection. She couldn't do underwater stunt work when they shot like close ups of, of Roger Moore and Carol Bacay together doing this. It was all fake, actually. It was on it was on a dry set. And they added, I guess they used Alka-Seltzer for bubbles that they added onto the film. Yes. And so here I'm already walking right into our fun facts and trivia. it's okay. It's a cool scene, man. It's shot well. And the action, and there isn't like a lot of cheesy moments that we were talking about in the previous action sequence where they're cutting to that rear projection stuff. Uh, this is pretty solid overall. And, and uh, you don't know how they're going to get out of it.
0: Yeah, I would say uh, for your second favorite scene, half of it i love. The other half is just cheese ball. (laughs) like the stuff with the the shark is awesome because that's a tiger shark in there. And if I had my choice of jumping in the ocean with a tiger shark or a great white, I'm taking my chance with the great white. Tiger Uh sharks are not a shark you want to mess with. So just watching that, I'm like, how the hell? It's not like you ask a tiger shark, like, here's your mark. So our stunt people are going, that just amazed me. Like, how the hell did they get that shark there and keep it right. around and then film those scenes? Because that that's dangerous. Those sharks. Oh, hell yeah. just yeah. So that part I loved. The part when they go to retrieve the attack from the boat. It's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I still love it. Because the first thing they do, which drives me up the wall, when they talk about, like, we have eight minutes. It's it's just going to take you eight minutes just to even find you. They would already drown by the time they found it. It's impossible.
1: That action sequence takes like 30 minutes.
0: Yeah. Just say we have limited amount of oxygen to get to get in and out. Just leave it at that. Don't give us a time constraint. Right. Yeah. And then they get out and then Bond's like, don't talk a lot. It'll use up the mixture. Right. He doesn't shut up.
1: He doesn't shut up. She's screaming. She gets banged against the wall in the ship and she's losing air on top of the fact that they only have eight minutes. So she should have ran out of air in no time.
0: Right. So she's already died twice. He's died once. Yeah. And then why does that guy even come into the ship? Right. Yeah. Just wait. Just wait. (laughs) doesn't make any sense. Wait or disable their
1: ship that would force them to have to come up. And they send a mini sub down after him uh, too.
0: Yeah. The, the geeky guy in the in the sub, who's just like pushing all the buttons. Let me do Oh, it's great.
1: Yeah. The, that one's called because it's the Neptune is their, uh Bond and Milena's mini sub. And then it's like something, the Mantis. I think maybe it's just called the Mantis, the evil mini sub. Yeah. It's awful. It uh, makes no sense. It's hilarious and cheesy. I just, maybe it's more of a nostalgic thing for me, but I love that sequence it, it's
0: it's cool still, because it still is kind it's of tense.
1: Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah.
0: It's cool That's that, that the it's underwater. But yeah, and I liked it
1: as a kid. I remember liking it as a yeah.
0: kid. But watching it now and you're just like, oh, my God, this is so ridiculous. But, yeah, the stuff with the, the shark and the coral, I think the reason they, they stopped and would go back is just because the shark was there. So they just wanted to keep passing it through the the shark. That that would be my only reason why they okay. would do that. All right. Sure. But, but you're right. Just let them drown. Just let them drown. Just, just keep going. But drive your
1: fun. yacht in a straight line. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's it's really that easy, but uh, there's some good stuff. (laughs) It is funny because there is some really frustrating stuff in in these as great as these some of these action set pieces are in this film. There is a lot of frustrating things where you're just going, this is this is dumb. This is dumb. This would never happen. But as a kid, the suspension of disbelief is always in place. As an adult watching this film, you're going, "Am I supposed to believe this? In what world could this ever happen?" And then I returned, I have to return to my childhood and way and go. I watch this just for pure. It's just pure popcorn movie fun, and that's it. But um, so I go. I keep fighting within myself watching the movie.
0: Yeah, and I should have said this in the beginning when when talking about this. The- The issue that this movie is very totally uneven. It has these great action and then it does like this corny kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then like, then you're trying to figure out the story and then it does this really cool action scene. It's, it's a very uneven film. Like I said, when we're younger, it's just cool. You just want to see bond do his thing or whatever. And then when as an adult, you're kind of watching it. You're like, all right, what's going on with the story? Yeah. All right. So you look at the beginning scene. Mm-hmm. where it's the whole thing with the supposed blow fell and it's cheesy right. and corny. And then they do the opening title sequence and then they go into the sub where it's a tragic accident happens. Yeah. These guys die and drown on this boat. Tragically, right. tragically. Yeah. Then the next scene is Molina's parents die. Tragically. They get gunned down. Tragic yeah. death. Like you open up with this corny blowfield going down a smokestack.
1: Corny as all hell.
0: Yeah. And then you do two very serious scenes after that. It's like, wait, what, what is this movie supposed to be?
1: It's a great point. Oh, yeah. Super uneven. Yeah. yeah. And
0: there's a lot of the that tonal throughout. quality of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that throughout. Mm-hmm. And Melina gets her revenge and assassinates the killer. And then they do the silly car chase afterwards. It's like, okay,
1: it's kind of going all over the place. But I still like the movie a lot. So. <laughs> See, that's, that's where we're going to end up, guys. That's where really, inevitably, we're just going to end up with, you know, I still like it. I still do. I do. It's fucking Bond, man. Well, the, yeah. Yeah, we do. We like it. But, but this leads me to my is next slide. Go for it. Favorite scene. It's Locke's death. Oh, sure. So, sure. I almost put that in mind.
0: Yeah. Okay. Almost did it. So what happens is after Bond finds out that Columbo is really the good guy. Um, Columbo's like, look, I'll prove it to you. We'll go to this warehouse. Um, you'll see that he's smuggling heroin. And Bond's like, okay, I'll follow you. So they go there. They find all this heroin. There's this big shootout that happens. And Bond sees Locke. So he st- starts chasing him down. Going back a little bit, the agent who introduced Bond gets killed by Locke. So Bond now has like a l- little revenge thing because he wants to go at- get this guy. So he sees Locke at the warehouse and locks the car to drive off. Bond's like running up all these stairs to try to cut him off at the top of the mm-hmm. hill. And there's just this comment r- about that.
1: So, keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah, from night to day. So it, it must take hours to
1: get up, get up these stairs. No, no, never going to happen. Go ahead. Just keep going. <laughs> this is hilarious. <sighs> that's Roger Moore literally going up the stairs in the movie they couldn't even take the audio out I don't know why they didn't <gasps> oh, 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 oh. yet he arrives before right Locke does who's driving a fucking car yes up the hill oh, go for it sorry man
0: sorry Bond steps out gets in the shooting pose shoots lock through the windshield in the shoulder c- causes the car to swerve and now the car is hanging over the edge.
1: Yeah, this spark's cool.
0: So you see Bond go up there, and he looks at Locke, and and Locke's trying to, because he's balanced, because the slightest move could knock this car over. Right. And Bond's just like, oh, um, I think you left this with you when you killed, I can't remember the agent's name, whatever. I think uh, Liesel,
1: Liesel, Liesel. Yes. Yes.
0: So he has the white dove pendant, which is the sign of the organization, and he throws it in the car and then kicks it because this yeah. is really the first time you see like Roger Moore vengeful. It stands out. Yeah. It's not tongue in cheek about it. Like he's like pissed off. This happens. Yeah, kicks the car over the edge and the body <laughs> goes flying out of the car. The car slams into the the rocks below. And, yeah. yeah, he's dead. So I thought it was, brutal. Cool. it was really the first time you see Roger Moore, like the 007 side of him, the license to kill side of
1: him in one of these movies. And that's what I love about it. It's that, that visceral vengeance shining through. Like it's something it's instinctual. Like he doesn't hold back and his emotions uh, take over in that moment. It stands out because, and uh, in the, it's in the research, I hope, I'm sure you were going to say something about. It. I hope, if you don't mind me, bring it Go up ahead. now. But that Roger Moore did had, take issue with this very moment in the film,
0: right? But that's the James Bond from the books.
1: That's James. That's Correct. The, he finally came around to it, but he literally said, "Yes, this is James Bond, but it's not Roger Moore's James Bond." Right. It's Ian
0: Fleming's James Bond. That's basically what. But it. then he
1: finally came around to it, saying, "Yeah, this is what he would do according to the books," and so he agreed to do it. But he had like a crisis of conscience almost, you know, kind of thing where he's like, Ooh, this is dark. Bond actually kicking the car, literally pushing it over the edge kind of thing. But yeah, it it was effective. It's a great moment. Uh, Yeah, yeah. because like here is he he barely knows this agent, but he's
0: it's a fellow agent and justice served. What do you got now for
1: Uh, my final favorite scene is the final sequence of the film atop Saint Cyril which is the in the film, like an abandoned mountaintop monastery. For me, it's really all about the incredible setting. It's an incredible setting for an incredible letdown of a final fight sequence. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. <laughs> okay, But I'm just putting it in because this setting is so cool. And it was such a great nostalgic memory for me. It's something that just when I think of this movie, it's the image that, kind of seared into my mind is that sheer rock cliff. Cause I think it's so intense that bond has to use his rock climbing skills, which of course he has. Um, yeah. and he can, you know, scale the side of this mountain to get up to this remote location, which where our, uh, villain is, you know, that's his lair uh, for the moment. And, uh, yeah, he's got to climb the face of the rock in order to get to the top in order to, uh, turn on the, um, to operate the winch, which lowers the basket for the rest of the crew to hop in and get up there too to join them, and so they can uh, kick the bad guy's ass, basically, and and get the attack device. So it's really kind of tense because he's trying to climb this thing and he's setting all the I forget uh, the technical terms for it, but
0: the carabiners.
1: He's using carabiners, but the actual when he's uh, oh, the spikes, right? The spikes that he's putting into the side of the rock, and he's attaching his rope to each of the the carabiners connected to the spikes. And so he's setting up this whole system for himself to, you know, do the rock climbing. And there's an evil henchman at the top that knows he's coming up the, the mountain. And again, Mr. Bad Guy, how about you tie the rope around your waist first, you dumb piece of shithead, before you go over the edge of a cliff 8,000 feet in the fucking air? After When you're going after, like, the ultimate badass in the world. It just, like, drives me up the wall. I was watching it going, well, you're dead. You're going to die now because you, you're dumb. So the bad guy attaches a rope to a post at the top of the mountain so that he can kind of lean over the edge of the cliff and knock out the little spikes that bond has put in there for his own rope. And the, so that bond will fall to his death. And so it's still intense. I like that sequence. It's um, just scary because of the height and some of the shots and perspective uh, give you that vertigo type of feeling. At moments, there's I'm going to bring this up also in my complaints department. I have all kinds of problems with this tire sequence as well. Yes. But it's still one of my favorites because the locale is so exotic. And uh, we'll get that into into it a little bit in the fun facts and trivia as far as that actual location they used, uh, which I believe is in Greece. But regardless, I enjoy it. It's such a huge obstacle. It's like, how is Bond and his uh, band of merry men? going to get on top of this mountain and then take care, you know, vanquish the bad guy and get the the MacGuffin. So it's just a really cool setting. That's why I chose it.
0: No, that's a good one too. Yeah. Cause even the scene where he kind of does the drop and you're like, Oh, oh my yeah. God. And then he figures out that I, I should have mentioned that, which is an actual thing
1: you can do. And it, at that time yes. it was actually like the 50th anniversary of the invention of that. I think it was, it was straight. I, ah, I'm going to screw it up. I think, but uh, the guy that invented that way to use your shoelace to attach it to the rope and hoist yourself up. It's an actual knot that you can Mm -hmm. tie and it's like a climber's trick that you can use. And that's what Bond does in the moment. It's a real thing. So that unto itself is cool. Like he, that's his way of getting back up the mountain. Good stuff. So that, that was a great moment. Thanks for bringing that up, Bill Bond. So that's it for me. All right.
0: So let us move on to soundtrack. Yeah, we, I mean we've already mentioned um, you know the title song was sung by Sheeta Easton uh, for Your Eyes Only, which Jason and I both love. So there was a change in the actual soundtrack because um, the normal composer for the James Bond films was John Barry. He unfortunately was not available, so uh, John Barry suggested Bill Conti, who we know from Rocky. And uh, one of our other podcasts, Victory. Yes. Jason, you have any comments on the soundtrack?
1: Well, my first comment is actually, now that I remember the score from Victory and how much I enjoyed that score and how much you did not enjoy that score, and I still hold that against you. Also, yes, here's my other comment. Bill Conti, I'll give him props for being, yeah, I'm going to use the word iconic, for his work on Victory, the score for The Right Stuff, which is awesome. The Karate Kid, various Academy Award shows that he had done. I love the Masters of the Universe soundtrack. Always inspires me. Don't laugh at it. I love it. I'll give him props for weaving the Bond theme in and out of different tracks within this film, for your eyes only. I'll give him props for weaving the title theme song in and out of sequences. But Bill, the score from this film sucks. I hate it. It's so... It's uneven too, and it's it's like seventies bass and funk, and yet you get a little eighties theme, like maybe synth coming in there a little bit. And I'm like, whoa, we just went full cheese ball, and it, I I can't, I don't like it. But hey, you know, Jason, I've read articles where people love this. It seems in the research, it was either it was almost uh, polarizing.
0: Yes, it is. Either
1: you loved it or hated it. Like that was like reviews on it.
0: Because for me, there's an example, like going back to the chase scene when they showed the ski lift and it's that like piano. And I was like, that's really cool. cool." That was cool. And then it goes back in the cheese ball music. I'm like, oh, no, go keep keep the piano. That was awesome.
1: I was, it's, yeah,
0: it's like the movie. It's, it's totally all over the place.
1: And my preferences when it comes to a score, I like the big bombastic, you know, uh, orchestral score. And Conti is actually known for a lot of that. Some of the stuff I've mentioned that he's done is big, you know, orchestral type of, you got strings, you've got horns, you've got all of it. But this, he went with more of a funky, you know, a funk rock kind of thing that went along with a lot of the action sequences. And it just didn't work for me. not my, not my taste. Uh, and that's just my opinion.
0: Yeah, I have a bunch of the Bond soundtracks. This is not one of them.
1: That's all I'll say. <laughs> Here's a question, though, for you regarding just music. And jo- Monty Norman, known for doing the actual Bond theme. Yes. I mean, it's one of the best themes of all time in the universe of the world and the galaxy. Oh, yeah. So, Super man, amazing. I'm assuming Monty Norman is no longer with us. Am I safe to say that? What were the like the residuals that guy was looking at for that theme? Did you do any research? I meant to do some research on that. Please email us, send us a message, give us a tweet, let us know. I'm just curious because that theme song is truly iconic and so identifiable, and it's just incredible. Uh, I've been, so I mean, so I just wondered, thing. you know, how did that? I hope he got paid for it. That's all I'm saying. Or for the you know the the use of it while he was alive.
0: Now that you're asking, I'm like he might have just got one check. and yeah, like that it was, was a, it because like he got then it was a Really do theory. the
1: residual stuff. Maybe yeah. maybe he's got family yeah, that's yeah. uh, still getting residuals. I hope
0: that's a good question because I figure I
1: should have saved that for my my deep questions because
0: I'm thinking of and this is so weird because this is totally left field about Gilligan's Island. Cause it, you know, reruns of that all sure. through growing up. And they, the cast never got oh, residuals yeah. from that show. It took them forever fighting to get it. And that's, you know, a little bit later than the bond movies. So I'm like, I wonder if that's the same situation where they didn't really start putting residuals into contracts mm-hmm. into much later. So he did this iconic piece of music and they just used it over and over again. He yeah. Royalties, I guess. Was- yeah.
1: Yeah. It's the word I'm also looking for. Yes.
0: Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. All right, um, so we'll move ahead to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. We call it Swiss cheese because... Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it does not fall under Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. I think just overall Swiss cheese is trying to figure out the plot. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't no really doubt have, about it. I don't have an actual cheese. It's just trying to just even just try to. explain I think the we plot to our kind just,
1: of you, covered yeah. it. We we told the audience that Bond is going over the. Uh, he's going after the attack device. We get that from the start, and it's funny enough. I actually clocked it. It the attack device itself, which is the MacGuffin, is not brought up again until an hour. And 18 minutes into the film. Wow. It's not even mentioned. And I'm like, isn't this the whole point? Like, aren't you going after something here? And it's all the convoluted stuff about him making contacts. He's chasing Locke. And also making contacts with the Greek businessman. Christados. Who then tries to put Bond off, like you know, put him off his trail by putting him onto Colombo, and it turns out that Colombo, the rival Greek smuggler, is actually the good guy, and it's christados who's the bad guy, whom Locke has been working for all along. And again, if you're listening, how the hell would you follow even what I just said? So outside of that, we'll pro- we can just kind of move right into uh, filing some complaints, right?
0: That's let file some complaints. So my first complaint, I'm, I'm just going to be all over the place with complaints. Let's do it. After the, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, after the ski mm-hmm. chase, Bond's going to say bye to be right? And out of the blue, these hockey <laughs> players come
1: in. Here lies Sub-Zero, now plane Zero. <laughs> Basically. And the coach leaves, and these hockey
0: players all of a sudden just attack Bond out yeah. of random. And... They try to make it goofy where Bond, like, stops the hockey players and pushes
1: them to the goal. He scores the goal each time yeah. the bad, a bad hockey player goes into the net. Yeah.
0: Wait, so there's a guy up in the booth. He's watching this go on. He's hitting the score buzzer. Um, call for help. <laughs> call for help. I
1: there's, thought it was just hockey guys like or a sensor that goes guy? Back, triggers the scoreboard. I always thought it was just automatic. I was, but I suppose there is some...
0: I thought that at first too, but I was like, no,
1: they wouldn't have had to set that up. That's amazing. I could just see like a little old man behind the scoreboard going,
0: Go, Bob, yeah. go, go, yay.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh like,
0: uh, yeah. pick up the phone. Yeah. The police. Someone's getting oh attacked God. here in the, in the hockey rink.
1: That's hilarious. So here's my first complaint that I'm going to file. Before the very first Chase scene. There's an action sequence. as a car chase. Uh, Bond, I believe, is supposed to be somewhere in Spain or near Madrid, and he's tracking down Gonzalez, who is the hitman who flew the, the biplane and brutally guns down the havelex or whatever. The, those, the couple that yeah. I and mean, here we go. Convoluted. Yeah, just thousand characters. But he's tracking down this hitman, and he drives to this locale in a Lotus. And I remember as a kid, man going, Oh, that car's cool, man. That's cool. I love it. That's exotic. And I'm looking at it now going, that thing is fucking ugly. And I'm like, what's with the cars yeah. in this movie, Bill Bond, both lotuses. What happened? I saw Lotus on the road the other day. It was stunning. It was, I mean, that isn't a, that's a nice vehicle. And uh, but these back in the '80s, they weren't what they are now, or probably weren't even what they were before that particular model. I'm assuming that just those two, the models they came, they looked like bad DeLoreans. And DeLoreans, to begin with, although I want a DeLorean, I need to have a DeLorean, will have a DeLorean. That's what they kind of. They just looked like the colors were terrible. Anyway. I, had an, I had, I'm just filing a complaint about the cars in this movie. They're not your you, they're they're at the bottom of the list of Bond cars.
0: Yeah, like you kind of gave it forgiveness because in um, the Spy Who Loved Me, the one would turn into a submarine, so that was cool.
1: But not this much, one, there's no functionality, no gadgets, no, no machine guns, no.
0: No. no. Yeah, and that, I mean they tried to get away from that in this one to try to make it a little bit more serious. Yeah, that's in the research,
1: but- and you know what I say? Bullshit. So this goes right into the, the car chase that follows. This is the big first, uh, the first big car chase, and they're going down all like these windy roads and switchbacks. And right now, at this point, Bond, hit because the, the Lotus got blown up, thankfully, let's put it out of its misery. He hops into the yes. little like it looks like a little yellow bug. It's the, there's I can't remember the model of the car, but he hops in with Milena into this little yellow uh, compact subcompact vehicle, and there's a car chase going. on. The bad guys pull up next to them, of course, right? They're just, they're racing down the road side by side and the bad guys are shooting at him. I love that the bad guys decide to stop shooting at Bond when they pull up right next to him and they're looking at him through the window. And this is when I say again to the dumb bad guys in this movie, how about you just roll down your window and shoot him in the face? That's all you have to do. You are literally three feet away from James Bond. You have a gun in your hand. Just shoot them through the window. Why doesn't that ever happen? Why isn't, like, what? what's the problem?
0: I was expecting to ask for some great putain. <laughs> that's, that's what I was supposed a like.
1: British thing to do, yeah. Yeah, because it's just like, again, that's why I get upset when Costados doesn't just drag Bond and Milena through miles of ocean. It's just kind of the, one of those things where I'm going, yeah, it's really that easy. That's all you have to do. And, but they just kind of look at each other and Bond gives them that cheesy, like, oh, hey, you're right next to me. Huh? Here we are. And they're all like, yeah, we're mm-hmm. going to get you. We're going to get you. I'm like, yeah, just shoot them. That's, you know, again, you just got to go with it. Got to go with it. Oh, also, OK, I hate it when they speed up the film. we t- You brought that up earlier. They didn't do that in the ski sequence. Yeah. But in this, you see the cars like flying around. It's goofy he's got to hit the brakes and he kind of has to turn the car around and then he's flying around the corner. You're like, Oh, they sped up the film in that sequence. It's just cheesy. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. Yeah. It's like, never get right. Just know. It's really noticeable. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. Go ahead, Bill. We'll see what he got next.
0: Okay. Um, so I got, I got to mention my guy. Yes. Hugh.
1: All right. I hope this is what I have because that's maybe what I have next. Go for it.
0: So bond mentions that after Molina's parents get killed, bond is ordered to go after the assassin and he goes to try to get the assassin the assassin unfortunately gets killed but bond says hey there was someone that was paying off the assassin why don't we follow that guy and maybe that'll lead us to where we need to go so of course okay go see q and go find the identograph, and we'll use the identograph to figure out who this guy is so it's awesome because we go down to the q lab and we see what q's been working on and and the little funny banter between back and forth. I always, I love those moments. I miss Desmond Lewin so much in the, in Absolutely. the further movies. He was just great. But what blows my mind is they go, they go into this room to do the identigraph. And so Bond's trying to describe what Locke looks like and Q punches in the thing and the little screen shows up. Well, after about like, a minute. They basically got <laughs> luck 90% oh, it's nailed word. down really, oh, really yeah. fast. And then it does a cutaway and it makes it look like hours. Right, now it's pass.
1: like nighttime.
0: Yes. Like the queue branch is empty. The woman no comes in, there. they're like, you can go it home for the Q, night.
1: The whole place is like shut down.
0: It took you hours to figure out the last
1: 10% right. of what I'm like, you could have went with what it's you ridiculous, had right there. Phil. The identigraph. We've come a long way from the identigraph and for your eyes only. That's all I'm going to say with the techno stuff, like with identifying somebody yes. using the computer science. It's it's laughable. You watch the whole thing. I'm like, first of all, Q does not give Bond any gadgets at all. At all. Not no. one. He goes into the gadget basement. This is where it all the magic happens. And you see a little funny sequence, which is something you always look forward to as well, where you see Q uh, and his test subjects testing different gadgets. That's always fun. And then, of course, Bond makes a quip, you know, oh, uh, stinging in the rain. (laughs) You know, that's always fun. They had a little bit of that. Like you said, the banter. We always look forward to it. But then this identograph bullshit, it's hilarious. It's like to me, I was like, you might as well have just a Mr. Potato Head. In there and just start putting the pieces on, and then you know, cut away, come back, and it's the perfect version of whom you're trying to identify. Because they put he describes Locke to Q, who is inputting the stuff into the computer. All of a sudden, it's literally looks just like him, and then there's a printout, a color printout of Locke's actual face. Because the computer screen we've been looking at this entire time. Is just uh, what's the technical term, but it's like a
0: it's like a frame line. Right, thank you. Yeah, it's all green
1: face, lines. Yeah. It's like an outline of yeah. the guy's face, and then we see a full, you know, color photograph printed out. of It's just cheesy, and it doesn't. this is, like suspension of disbelief for me went out the window during that scene. That was just it was hilarious. But you're right. The time, like the time of day, to like the time lapse during the like the process of how long it's supposed to take is weird you know like it doesn't make any sense so yeah that i had that also as a complaint
0: yeah because they try to do a silly joke where q accidentally makes the nose too big and like ha, ha 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 but yeah they have that it a nose not done. a banana <laughs> yes whoa, whoa, whoa. they have it 90 done and then for some reason it takes some hours to figure right. out the last hilarious one. like you already know what the guys looks like
1: just put the glasses on him. i would I'm just done. get his fingerprints man just run it through. The system. Yeah.
0: All right. what, what else you got? So we can talk about the character
1: of Bibi? for just a second. Okay. Yeah, yeah. please. Um, I, like you, agree that she is a very attractive young lady. I'm not sure how old the actress was, and I meant to look that up. I do not have that for you or us in this podcast, but she is extremely young and we see her figure skating and she comes up and she meets James Bond as he's talking to her sponsor this Greek businessman, Christos, she immediately is like, oh, hey, can uh, maybe Mr. Bond escort me into the biathlon? And he can, it's literally, it feels like seconds later, she's hopping into bed naked, wanting to have sex with James Bond, whom is clearly over 50 years old in this movie. And I believe Roger Moore is about 53 during, probably during the filming of this what, what happened? What, there's this, she's like this little nympho, like just a little sex nymph. And I'm like, what is happening? Cause she barely has any dialogue and she is just immediately in love with bond. Like she can't get yeah, enough she's of smitten. just smitten instantaneously and wants to have sex with him. She doesn't even really talk to him because he goes back to his room And I believe that's before the biathlon, correct? And she comes out of his shower in his hotel room with a towel around her and just hops into bed and takes the towel off. And she's like, yeah, you know, this is good for the muscles. It's good exercise. And I'm like, whoa, I don't know what was going on with that. Uh, It was just a little look again, attractive young lady, but it was kind of weird too. I, I don't know. I didn't like it too. At the same time. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm like, she can get any guy there that she wants. And BB, God bless her. She gets into, you know, so I'm a little weirded out by that. But then she gets into her uh, little ski bunny outfit. And I'm, now I'm right back in BB's court. I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's out. Okay. And we go to the biathlon, which is l- clearly one of the weirdest uh, Olympic events ever created. And BB has clearly had a relationship with our evil henchman, Eric. And as trying to get his attention while he's in the midst of some sort of qualifying round, he is competing. Yes. And she walks right out into the thing and says, like, Eric, Eric, hey, can we have drinks later? And I'm like, listen, bitch, I'm competing right now. Get the fuck out. What are yeah. you doing? Get out of my way. Gee, why do you think he's ignoring? Yeah, why you? is he giving you the stink eye? Because he's trying to ski and shoot shit. So why not get out of the way, BB? What are you doing? Go for it, Bill. What's your next file a complaint, man? All
0: right. So at the final scene, when Bond is going up the mountain, that's a pretty high mountain. Okay. Right. We could agree on that. They make it sound like Bond's going to get up that thing in like 90 minutes. I mean, how long do you actually think it would take to get up? Oh, that? Totally. So <laughs> Basically should have said like, all right, go up the mountain. We'll be back tomorrow. And <laughs> hopefully you'll have the basket down by then right. too. And that was even funny too is there a scene where Bonds climb up the mountain and he is super far away. He's like a speck oh on the god, side of the Oh my god, that's
1: totally in my complex. Absolutely a hundred percent.
0: And the henchman's coming around and Colombo is like waving at
1: him like Duck, duck you can't you, see that I can't spill, I can't even tell you how much I can't stand that stuff in films today. I wouldn't even know where you were. You're even if you I left like you like start an climbing up the on the, mountain. A, on the side of the mountain. You can't see the people on the ground. The people on the ground can't see you. You can't signal them. You're too far away. You're just too far away. It's hilarious. And they keep doing that. The, the percent, the uh, perspective is off. It, It goes back and forth throughout the entire sequence. What cracks me up is like, this is how, what I wrote is I believe at the, in the beginning bond, or it's either Milena or bond bond, looking through the binoculars and they're looking at the top of the monastery, the top of the mountain. They're going, Okay, there's the shed where the winch is. And he can see clear as day the entire shed with a henchman pacing back and forth, a guard there. And I'm like, wow, Bond, you got some awesome binoculars, man. Those binoculars kick ass. Then three scenes later, Topol's got a pair of binoculars. Look up. He can barely fucking see Bond on the side of the mountain. I'm like, oh yeah, Colombo got the shitty pair of binoculars. Like what happened to the binoculars? Mm-hmm. Like, so now, now the perspective's all off at once. Yeah. At one point. Yeah. And then when, yeah, you, like you said, when Tobol signals him to get his head down and it's like, he can't see you. There's no way he can see you. It drives me nuts. That whole perspective thing in, in movies when if you've ever been hiking or like in an airplane, People like in airplanes are flying or whatever, and they're talking to each other, or even in cars, when they're t- when they're actually driving and their windows are down and somebody's talking to the person driving in the other car, I'm like, no, you cannot hear that person. You're driving yes. on a road, like on a highway at 80 miles an hour. The engine is roaring. The wind is blowing. You cannot hear each other unless you have... Like microphones and intercoms and yes. shit like that. Stop doing that. I'm not a moron. I'm not an idiot. As an audience member, don't act like I'm a fucking idiot. It's just impossible. Sorry, I'm yeah. getting passionate about some of these complaints, man. Damn it. Even that group could literally walk
0: up to the base of the mountain. The guards would never see them because they'd be so small. That yeah, right. mountain is so high. Totally. Up. All right, and this, and this will be my, my last complaint because most of my other stuff we've already kind of brushed over uh, going through this. Okay, so the scene where the Batty is going to knock Bond off the rope and Bond throws the knife at him and he falls. So you even had me confused there falls. for a second
1: because I'm like, who the fuck is Batty now? Which character is that? <laughs> we got Batty, no, we got Binky, we, we got Binky, Binky and Bubba and Bobby.
0: Alright, the guard. The guard that's that's trying to uh, knock Bond off his. Correct. Motor. Gotcha. Right. Bond throws the knife at him, and he, and he falls. Right. Hundred, hundreds of feet to his oh, death. Yes. <laughs> and then the groups there are like, oh, my God, they think it's Bond. Right. And then they go to lift to try to identify him. I'm like, if that was real, as soon as they lift that body, that movie becomes R rated because Absolutely. you would not.
1: You, Absolutely.
0: I don't even think you would be able to recognize no. him with dental no, records.
1: No. no, no. His whole skull would be smashed. His face would be caved in.
0: Like he'd be pancaked. Literally, I was like, you—you wouldn't be able to tell who that was.
1: And the fact they try to lift it, and we—we see the body. Yeah, and he's got like a scratch on his face. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's like no, if that was real, and they lifted that body, that this movie now becomes rated R. No, uh,
1: uh, yeah, it's unbelievably unbelievable. Like literally Mm -hmm. unbelievable. So yeah, but of course it it
0: drops within three feet of the
1: group too. That those two things just ridiculous. Uh, I'm so glad I put that sequence in my favorite scenes. There's a sequence when they go to uh, Christados uh, warehouse to, like you'd mentioned earlier, uncover the heroin. They've discovered this pure opium, which is like in liquid form, which it, which is in like these, uh, these huge drums that just look like giant rolls of uh, paper. Uh, and yeah. that was what's that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And if you, if, if one of these giant rolls of paper, God forbid, Rolls on top of you, you're immediately dead. By the way, you just die. You just got to play either play dead, just lie down and die. That happens multiple mm-hmm. times in that sequence, which is great. Which brings me to my yeah. next complaint, which is the fact that there are the mines that you see in the beginning of the film, where the the British surveillance ship is sunken by accident. They you know scoop up these mines, and so you see those same type of mines in this warehouse. So you kind of put two and two together. You're like, yeah. oh. Maybe those mines were placed there on purpose in the beginning. These are actually the bad guys' mines. And these mines are in this warehouse. And, of course, Bond and his band of merry men and Colombo and fellow uh, Greeks, Christos and, and Sosos and po- something pus, are all shooting at the mm-hmm. mines. This is where I always go, stop shooting at the giant explosive mines in front of yes. you. I don't know if that like you could actually explode like one of the mines would actually explode if you shot a bullet at it but still i would suggest not doing that
0: you know jason if they had ripley there she would have been able to tell them isn't that explosive right? Are in- <laughs> yeah right what if one of those mines ruptures want to blow up
1: the warehouse collect all the ammunition yeah. bond yep. topol Collect all the guns. Yeah, stop shooting at the mines. Don't shoot at the mines. was one of my notes. Another complaint would be that here's one of my favorite things is when at the final uh, action sequence, I love it when a civilian woman just joins a major mission all of a sudden. Remember that Milena is just a vengeful daughter, but she comes along with Bond and the other guys to climb the mountain and go kill the bad guys and retrieve the attack device. But
0: she's an amazing
1: shot. She hasn't missed, you know, who she she reminds me of someone who becomes a freedom fighter at the end of the movie. All of a sudden, a oh, little call yeah. back to a little movie called The Running Man. Yes. Right. It's kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's just it's just amazing that because Milena should Interpol or any police or law enforcement organization should be chasing after her ass. She's a, a vigilante. Yes. She is working outside of the law. She's murdered people with her crossbow bolts. Yes. Correct. Yes. And now she's working with James Bond and Columbo. Yes. And she's going to come see. Yeah. So I, I'm on yep. board. Let's do it. Let's yep. do it, Melina. So, yeah. yeah. You're hot. You're yep, you're a Greek hottie. I'm I'm on board. I'm glad I'm you're part sex. of the team. Um, <laughs> I would be a little critical of Lynn Holly Johnson, our sweet, sweet BB. Okay. Her little figure skater. Man, her, some of her acting isn't. Quite up to par in moments and there is one point at in that final action sequence because she's kind of being almost this appears almost like held captive by Costados up there uh, with her trainer Costados is like we're going to have gone to cuba and she goes Cuba. that's <laughs> just like oh boy oh boy she's still really cute though uh, so I'm going to end on I'm going to rattle these off man Bill Bond Where the fuck are all the gadgets In this movie There are no gadgets like I say, in it this was, movie
0: It was a conscious effort Because people just thought the movies were Do I look too. like
1: I give a shit About their conscious effort It's a Bond staple God damn it Q Where are the gadgets Does James Bond only sleep with one mo- Woman in this movie No, two. He sleeps with the Countess and Melina at the end. When does he sleep with Melina?
0: Well, we don't, we know what's going to happen.
1: Okay. I'm just saying, technically, we don't, it's not in the movie. Oh, and by the way, yeah, it's uh, sleeping with Bond is a bad idea. You die after that. Yeah. It's like teens having sex in a horror film. You know what I mean? Not a good idea. You're going to die after that.
0: If you sleep with him in the first two acts,
1: that's pretty much the rule, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ooh. There's some exceptions, but
1: for the most part, yeah, you're in trouble. There's no martinis in this movie. No. Bill, what the fuck is going on? There's no gadgets. He only has sex with one woman, and there are no martinis. I'm just saying. I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> I'm calling fucking bullshit, James. Wow. Wow, this sounds like a bottom five. Song I, I, you, I put. I actually had this somewhere in my notes. I put it in the middle tier. I put it in the middle tier.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: crustados I hope I never have to say this name again. That's my final complaint. Oh, it's a terrible fucking name yes. for a weak-ass villain. It just don't give Julian Glover a lot to do in this. And I like him. I do as an actor. You know, he's in three huge franchises, man. That guy yes. did pretty good for himself. Yes. James Bond, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Julian Glover. God bless you. Um, but Christados, not a great villain and a terrible name. And we can move on, Bill Bond. What's next? All right. So it's hey, it's that hey, actor. Ah. So
0: in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Hey, it's that actor. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. What do you have for hey, it's that actor?
1: So this gentleman makes his feature film debut as in the role of Klaus. He is one of Locke's henchmen, pretty much, I would say, henchman number two next to Eric. And the actor playing Klaus is Charles Dance. Love this guy, man. Unmistakable British actor, the taller gentleman, has that look. He just looks like a bad guy. And he would go on to play some huge, huge roles. If you're watching this particular film, uh, like I said, henchman number two, he's the one that gets into the elevator with Bond as they go up. And He's the one that actually joins Bond on the ski jump. The most one of the most uh, I can't even say most ridiculous scenes in the entire film. But he goes on to play uh, Sardo Nunspa in The Golden Child, uh, an Eddie Murphy cult classic from the 80s. He's actually then in a TV movie called Golden Eye, which is a biography of Ian Fleming. And he plays Ian Fleming. How crazy is that? So Charles Dance is a henchman in an Ian Fleming, James Bond movie, and then goes on to play Ian Fleming in an Ian Fleming biography called Goldeneye. He goes on to play an unbelievable role in Game of Thrones, one of the most popular television series of all time. Uh, That character's name is Tywin Lannister. He is a bad, bad man in that show. Uh, He's a, a strategist. And a military guy, and he's a bad father, and he's an evil man in that show. He's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. He's a total boss. Um, I particularly love Charles Dance in Alien Three. Uh, that's actually one of my favorite roles of his. Yes. He plays Clemens, and he play he's heartbreaking in the movie, in my opinion. He plays the kind of an understated role, uh, and he befriends Ripley in the film, and then he meets his demise thanks to an alien in the movie. But um, he tells the story and this character's history about how he ended up on the prison planet. It's very touching. Anyway, I don't know, I find him moving in that film. And then he has also the, the main baddie in the last action hero plays Benedict in the last action hero. So he's a recognizable face character actor. Um, he was recently in Mank, the David Fincher film uh, playing William Randolph Hearst. So I'm a big fan of Charles Dance. So that's my, Hey, it's that. Victor. Well, who you got Bill? Yeah, when watching
0: the movie and I saw him I'm like, oh, hey, it's Charles And I'm like, hey, oh. Jason's gonna pick him, so I gotta move on. So <laughs> Jason does not disappoint. Why not? All right. So so for my hey, it's an actor, you've actually mentioned this character's name in the movie. Um, so the actor's name is Paul Brook, who played Bunky, <laughs> the card player, who oh. is playing Bond in Baccarat. He is talked into increasing his bet by Cassandra Harris's character, uh, LaCell—I think I'm saying that right—and of course he loses big money. This is all right. So now I got to go back to some real quick. Bond always kicks ass and back around. Mm-hmm. Like with all these winnings, couldn't he just retire <laughs> from being a spy? Where does that money go? Uh, that's a great question. Well,
1: I, I mean, is he? Because that that hand was a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, no, he's he he does all right. I mean, I guess does it go toward who pays for all of his fashion for his wardrobe? Is that all is he financed completely like by the British government? Do they no, pay for know. everything? Or I'm is, is he cause he's he he's wearing the top of the line, he's got the wardrobe, he's got the the watches, he's got the obviously the vehicles I would assume are provided.
0: Yeah, because even in the books, he is known for being a, a notorious card player. So like he could not be in the spy business and just
1: play cards for the rest of his life. I think he's addicted to the life though, man. The action, the action is the juice.
0: Okay. So, uh, Paul Brooke, he was in such eighties movies as the layer of the white worm. Jason, you ever seen? No, I
1: know of it, but I never saw it.
0: It's a weird fucking movie. I saw it for the first time, like two years ago. It is weird. It's a, it's a vampire movie. It's, it's, it's totally out there, but Hugh grant, I think it's, uh, one of Hugh grants earlier. Outstanding. Um, And he was in uh, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, and uh, Revolution with Al Pacino. But the movie he might be most recognized for is he was the Rancor Keeper. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yes. He's the one that cries after
1: the the Rancor gets killed by Luke Skywalker. That is him. And that's a memorable part. Like, Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I never knew that the ranker keeper actually has a name, which I hope I'm saying it right. Is Malakilli? It's M A L A K I L I. Oh
1: god, that's his name. That's great.
0: Yeah. yeah. And even the ranker itself had a name. Oh,
1: I'm sure. They every, everybody got it. all got they all got names yeah. later on.
0: Yeah. So uh yeah, Paul Paul Brook what? Was my?
1: Hey, sorry. Sorry. I, I was talking over you. I apologize. What was the ranker's name? Patessa. Patessa? P-A-T-E-E-S-A.
0: Amazing.
1: I'm sure there'll be a new Disney Plus show about the ranker.
0: Uh, so let's move on to facts and trivia. Some facts and trivia about For Your Eyes Only. And we know there are tons of podcasts and YouTube videos and all this other stuff about for your eyes only. So I'm sure half the stuff that we're gonna say you've probably heard. So we're we'll go through this quicker than we uh, normally do. So, Jake, What do you have for some facts of trivia for uh, for your eyes only? Well,
1: apparently I can't stop talking about the final action set piece. So this I found interesting. Um, that location okay. I believe uh, was Meteora in Greece, and for the Meteora shoots where that mountaintop was with the abandoned monastery. Mm-hmm a greek bishop and i'm this is i am quoting uh wikipedia a greek bishop was paid to allow filming in the monasteries but the uninformed eastern orthodox monks were mostly critical of production rolling in their installations after a trial in the greek supreme court it was decided that the monks only property were the interiors the exteriors and surrounding landscapes were from the local government so in protest The monks remained shut inside the monasteries during the shooting. They couldn't shoot the interiors. They could only shoot the exteriors of these monasteries. These monks still tried to sabotage production as much as possible, hanging their washing out of their windows and covering the principal monastery with plastic bunting and flags to spoil the shots and placing oil drums to prevent the film crew from landing helicopters. The production team solved the problem with backlighting, matte paintings, and building both a similar scenographic monastery on a nearby on an occupied rock, and also they used a monastery set that they built in uh, Pinewood Studios. Uh, I just thought, that, yeah, it was interesting. The monks were not happy about them shooting in that area, and they yeah. they took it personally. They uh, did everything they could to prevent the shoot from uh, coming off. So.
0: Okay, so for me, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, that uh, this is based off of two of Ian Fleming's short stories, For Your Eyes Only and Resico. So uh, I'll try to explain real quick which is which. So short story of For Your Eyes Only is in the book called For Your Eyes Only, which is five short stories. And For Your Eyes Only and Resico is both in this book. The Ian Fleming story of For Your Eyes Only only deals with Melina whose character in the book is Judy, and um, her parents are killed by a Cuban assassin. And we find out that M is very close to the Havelock family, and he sends Bond to kill the assassin. And him and Judy get together and basically go on the assassin's property and kill him. So basically that that like first 15 minutes of the movie is for your eyes only that's it oh wow there you go yeah so resico story is m sends bond because they're having a a heroin problem in britain so he is supposed to meet with christados to help him track down the drug smuggling and christados tells bond no it's this guy colombo you need to kill him in order to stop the heroin coming in, and you really find out it is Christados that it is bringing in the heroin. And the book ends at the warehouse scene, and the warehouse blows up, and Bond kills Christados there at the warehouse. Aha. Uh-huh.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: So the two short stories, that's how they fit into the movie for eyes only. And then everything else is the whole ending scene, the whole ad act. That is all strictly for the movie itself. That is all stuff that was added in.
1: There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Great stuff. Thank you for that, Bill Bond. Now, this was the only Bond movie to date in the official franchise not to feature M. It was the first Bond movie not to feature Bernard Lee as M, who had played the role in the previous 11 movies in the franchise. Unfortunately, he died of stomach cancer early in 1981 after the filming of the movie had started, but before his scenes were shot. Um, he was dying of st- stomach cancer. He tried to film at least one scene in the movie, but in the end, it was too much for him and he had to bow up. So that was sad. Also, this is a little bit of a, of a bummer because it is involving the one of our favorite scenes, the bobsled run. Unfortunately, a 23-year-old stuntman, Paolo Rigoni, uh, died during the filming of the bobsled chase. This was due to a poorly designed track Ragoni was not the only one to lose his life there. However, during an actual competition, another bobsledder was killed at the same exact spot. The track was later modified for a less severe turn. A little bit of uh, some bummer facts there, but sorry about that.
0: Um, So yeah, so Bond films are known for their amazing locales. So principal photography uh, began on September 15th, 1980 on the Greek Isle or Corfo. Yeah, no. and continued in other locations on mainland Greece, Italy, England, and the Bahamas. There you go. So that's where they shot the movie at. And
1: that's all I have. Got to like be that. fun, man. Shooting like like just get to travel so much while shooting a Bond oh, film. Yeah. This is here's my last little tidbit. It was during this production that Cassandra Harris plays Isil, uh the Countess, the double agent, I guess, or undercover agent. Cassandra Harris introduced Pierce Brosnan to producer Albert R. Broccoli. She I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was married to Pierce Brosnan at the time or she She act-
0: she got married during the production of yeah. the film.
1: So, Pierce Brosnan is kind of introduced to this, this whole world way back then in 1981 and of course famously is not able to take over the role. Uh, because of his commitments with uh, to Remington Steel. We all know the story are familiar of it or with it or have heard of it, and then eventually uh, takes on the iconic role, uh, beginning with Goldeneye, which uh, yep. come, but that comes years later. But the seed yes. had been planted uh, way back when. So there is that connection in 1981. Mm-hmm. So that's all I got for that. What's next, man? Yeah, let's move
0: on to box office. So this movie was released on June 26, 1981, on a budget of 28 million. It grossed 54.8 domestically and 140 and a half million internationally for the total gross of 195.3 million. This made it the second highest grossing James Bond movie up to that point, only behind Moonraker, which came out in 1979. The highest it charted on the box office was number three in the United States, and that was during its second week as a release, because it was competing with such films as Raiders of the Lost Ark, Superman 2, Stripes, and The Cannonball Run, Damn. which also starred Roger Moore. There she go. So then moving on to reviews, when growing up in the early 80s, we loved catching sneak previews with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear the reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of the film was unanimous. Two thumbs up. Gene thought there was good chases, a credible villain, and a beautiful woman. Roger enjoyed the film as well. Gene said it was the first Bond film he had liked since Thunderball. Wow. That's going way back. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to final thoughts. What are our final thoughts of Free Eyes Only?
1: So... Uh, here's my first final thought. Because of that music, right from the opening action sequence, that was super cheesy opening action sequence was really corny, and it has like that '70s funk feel. It yeah. just made me think, like like watching early Roger Moore Bond is like watching classic '70s or '80s porn. You know, it's not great, but your basic instinctual needs are still met, so you'll go back to it from time to time. Okay, I'm just saying it's. Don't look at me like that, Bill. I'm just saying it's only human.
0: There is some good helicopter stunts in that opening scene, too. And it's just, yeah. that's true. And there's some some really,
1: really good stunt work in 70s and 80s porn as well. So, you know, I'm just saying I made that connection and I'm sticking to it. Look, Bill, if I ever take on an alternate identity while at the card tables in Vegas, I've decided here and now that my alias will be Bunky. (laughs)
0: There you
1: go. I will go by the name of Funky. Uh, do you have it? I've got some more thoughts, but uh, no, keep going. Okay, yes. Well, I'm going to stick with the card games, man. Let's talk about the gambling because I can't get enough of. You're talking about the baccarat, right? The I I or baccarat. Yes. How do you say baccarat? I think it's baccarat. Is it Bert Baccarat? What well, the <laughs> world
0: needs now is love. All
1: right, go ahead. Right, we'll say it back around. However, you want to say it. Either way, I want those big block game chips. Like oh, I those are always cool. love the clicking sound that they make. There's something about it, the way they stack so perfectly. I don't know if I'm all about the like the perfect angles. I don't know. I want those chips to be our new currency in the US. I'm just saying. It's done. I love, cool. Do they not use those them cool. also in Casino Royale and maybe other films too? I don't know. But those same type of, uh, instead of like yeah. your tip, your standard round poker chips, right? They use the big mm-hmm. block chips. Yeah. You yes. just make that clicking click, 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 click. And they stack them. Just like so like something about it. Because now you think about it
0: because you can buy the round chips at a store, but I've never seen the. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh man. That'd be cool. If you could purchase those. Got to look online. Yes going on eBay after this. Uh, Hey, you know what? Boba Fett's in this movie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He was, he was my second (laughs) choice. That you're right. Of course. And I just think it's hilarious that your, Hey, it's that actor was also in the star Wars franchise. Julian Glover, who plays Christados, He was also in the star Wars franchise. And we got Jeremy Bullock who is in the sequence we talked about with Bond going down into what I call the queue basement, where all the gadgetry is. And he's the first person you see. He's uncredited in the film, but his role is Smithers, and he's the one with his arm in a so-called cast, but then the cast like flings open and smashes a dummy's head. See, and more great dummy work in this. Yes. And uh, it's a gadget. But that's Jeremy Bullock, uh, the one and only Boba Fett in the Star Wars, uh, the, the classic trilogy. Here's another thought Speaking of John Glenn directed this film. Uh, He's known for directing this and the other eighties bond films. And also little known fact, he was the first U S astronaut to orbit the earth, completing three orbits back in 1962. Pretty cool, man. Jason. Jason,
0: Cool.
1: Yeah. Totally. Not the same guy. What it's John Glenn, John Glenn, right?
0: No. no, Oh,
1: Oh, wait a minute. Whoa. Whoa. Hold on. This is one. He's only got one N, in Glenn. Yes. That's a diff. This is a different John Glenn, that directed right. this. Yeah. Oh, yes. so the astronaut. Okay. Yeah. Damn it! I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that would have been. Well, then that's it. That's all I got for. Thanks. Uh, whatever. I. I'm done. I, that's all I got for uh, my final. Or I'm just my more thoughts. I'm seeing now. I'm just. <sighs> I'm sorry. Okay. But you have some questions. I do. I do have some deep questions. Nice. Hey, man, how many women do you think Bond has slept with? Oh <laughs> man! Just in the movies or just in? Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'd say uh, let's I say to. let's go with this over under. Uh, Will Chamberlain's number? That's what I was thinking. I'm <laughs> like
0: him and work, Chamberlain.
1: It got to be one and two. Got to be one and two. There you go. Bill Bond, what do you think? is the best Roger Moore bond film.
0: The spy who loved me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I can't say I I can't, man, my memory is terrible with the bond movies. I got to see. And the reason why I'm, I'm going with the man with the golden gun. I don't know if it's because tattoos in the movie or, which is
0: usually in the bottom five of most people's list, which I don't understand. I I do like. Yeah, that I just love the
1: ending of that. I just think it's cool. But people give that a lot of hate. Yeah, I don't know. But I like. Maybe it. it's just a nostalgia thing. Like I'm. Uh, I would say uh,
0: the Roger, the one I've watched the most is A *View to a Kill*. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. And the one no I dislike the most is *Octopussy*. Can't stand that one. Oh, my least favorite James Bond. Movie. James Bond and clown makeup.
1: No. There you go. That's um, the, that's I'm done with my question. I really didn't have much for questions, but uh, we can move into the closing if you'd like. So I'm a
0: huge fan of James Bond. Always love watching the movies of the Roger Moores. Um, this is my second favorite after the spy who loved me. Like I said, it is an uneven film, but some of the action pieces are just really cool. Just the whole ski chase thing, even though it's weird. It's just amazing. This is stunt people. Yeah. This is not special effects. This is not CGI. This is people putting their life on yeah. the line to do this for the movie. And even, like I said, the the scene with uh, Melina and Bond in the water with that shark. I'm still, I still want to know how the hell they did that. Absolutely. It's like, how the hell did they get a shark in there and was able to time it to film it and keep the shark around them to get that. I mean, there's that one shark where you literally see the... And it just brushes the shark. Mm-hmm. Crazy. That and the shark scene from the movie Zombie 2, which is an Italian zombie film, where a guy literally wrestles a shark in the ocean. Two of the most amazing movies I've ever seen with a live shark. I don't know how they did it, and it still blows my
1: mind. Damn. Come on up What's Zombie 2. Didn't yes. think that was going to be part of this podcast.
0: I know, but Jason, literally it's a guy in a zombie makeup and he's in the bottom of the water.
1: I No, I, mean, I, I think start. it's brilliant that you pulled that in. It's crazy. It's like if I were just to pull you know, like Quato out of Total Recall, put it in this podcast. You, my, my. <laughs> Did you have any other uh, closing thoughts? No. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. Like I said, there,
0: there's so much information on James Bond yeah, out yeah. there. I just love James Bond. I just wanted to do a James Bond podcast. So that's why we're doing I love that. it, man.
1: This has been, it's been fun. You know, this one, uh, I definitely have a nostalgic attachment to uh, for your eyes. only, it has sentimental value. It's not top tier bond for me, but I would put it in the middle tier uh, for, like you said, ambitious action sequences, the great theme song by Sheena Easton. I'd still recommend it. There's so much history here. I, you know, the different bonds, the classic villains, this not being one of them necessarily, but overall, I, it's one of the longest living movie franchises that still lives on today. And it has spawned so many more films and franchises in the spy thriller genre. Today, like I said, we still have it, but, you know, we have the Mission Impossible franchise, the Fast and the Furious franchise, the Jason Bourne franchise. I'm not saying that the the original core material from those franchises, you know, whether it was dated before but during after. I'm not here to debate that. I'm just talking about the movies and a lot of TV shows that just came were born from James Bond. James Bond is it's everything for a a lot of people. And um, I would be remiss if not, not if I didn't mention that inspired uh, a classic, classic student film from the University of Miami. It's called Whispers of 007. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, Starring myself, I believe, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, Young budding actor named Jason Massick, in which this film in which uh, I believe he performed his own stunts. Yeah. yeah. So I just had to give a shout out to Bill Bantz, University of Miami, uh, student film, that he directed entitled Whispers of 007. So you're the man, Bill Bond. I always go to you <laughs> for my Bond intel. Appreciate it. Uh, so it, it's just a pleasure to do this podcast on a, on a Bond movie. And I hope we do more. And I, I have no doubt we will. There's, uh, there's some other yes. 80s Bond movies out there.
0: Yes, we have a couple more choices that we could do in the future. Yeah, I, I would say my favorite Bond, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, so I guess uh, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Our next movie will be the 1987 adventure comedy, "Adventures and Babysitting, starring Elizabeth Shue. I yeah. know, yes, you're so excited for and that
1: one. kiss me.
0: Keith Coogan and Anthony Rapp, as always, please subscribe and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at All 80s Movies Podcasts or tweet us at Podcast All 80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone.
1: Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. I almost just hit leave meeting.